Well, good morning, church. Good morning, guests. Good morning, online audience. We're glad that you guys are all here. And just a few, you know, small and significant questions to get us thinking today. Like this, who goes to heaven? <laughs> that's, just, that's a little one, right? Just, you know, a little one. Who goes to heaven? Like, what does a person have to do to, to live with a secure relationship with God, knowing that you're going to spend forever in his presence, in his kingdom? Like, what does a person have to do? Do, do I need to be a good, moral person? I got to be a good person. Do I have to be faithfully religious? Like, these are some of the big monumental questions that people typically ask when either a loved one passes away, when we're looking or wrestling with our own mortality, or even just when our spiritual curiosity is triggered for whatever reason. These are some of the big questions that we tackle. And there's no shortage of voices out there on answers, right? There's a lot of people that will give you answers to those types of questions. And here's the thing. All those answers are going to be different. So how do you know which one to trust? How do you know which one to go with, right? Well, we need to learn to tune our hearts and tune our minds and tune our ears to one voice. And that's the voice of the, res- the resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. One voice. And, and we need to go to that voice, and that voice alone is demonstrated through God's Word to, to give us information, instruction on how the answers to those questions exist and, and where to find those answers. And, and we're going to look here in a minute at a man who needed clarity on those kinds of questions. A man who needed those kinds of answers in his life, and he was drawn to that one voice to get the answers. And so I invite you right now to open up your Bibles and join me in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, a lot of you have Bible applications, you can fire those up and look at John chapter 3. By the way, if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. Stop by the info center on the way out and grab one. But before we dive in to uh, this this life that we're going to look at, this life of a man named Nicodemus. Uh, before we dive in and read it, I, I think every now and then it's nice to see it portrayed. I think when, when we see people attempt, and I say attempt because every video is, is never 100% accurate, right? Never. Um, attempt to portray this exchange, it'll give us a little bit of landscape to understand more about this conversation. So before diving in and reading it, let's just watch this like two-minute clip uh, of this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus, and then we'll launch in from there. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can a grown man be born again? He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I am telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the Spirit. Do not be surprised, because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is like that with everyone who was born of the Spirit. How can this be? You are a great teacher in Israel, and you don't know this. 
I am telling you the truth. We speak of what we know and report what we have seen. Yet none of you is willing to accept our message. You do not believe me when I tell you about the things of this world. How will you ever believe me then? When I tell you about the things of heaven. And no one has ever gone up to heaven except the Son of Man who came down from heaven. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the desert, in the same way the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. All right, that was a good portrayal that gives us a little bit of imagery as we read through this passage. And so uh, John chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read through about verse 18 today. And I'm going to tell you what, you might as well seatbelt up. This is going to be like a Cedar Point meets church right now. We're going to be diving into some passages and, and, um, and blowing and going here pretty good. So John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We're going to just stop there. I want to give a little more context before moving on. The Pharisees uh, were a very powerful sect of leaders, rabbis, uh, and scribes in ancient Jerusalem of the, of the Hebrew people. And uh, they were devout religious men, very pious and very legalistic. I think that's why they were called Pharisees, because they weren't fair, you see. All right? Um, that's bad. There was another sect of Jewish leaders called Sadducees, and they had some various views, but uh, there was a collection of these men that were Pharisees and Sadducees, these scribes and religious leaders and rabbis, that formed a 70-person group called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were basically the equivalent of like their Supreme Court of the day. So when we think about Nicodemus as a Pharisee, when we think about Nicodemus as a member of the Sanhedrin, what we're talking about here is we're talking about a man who is very devout, who's very religious, he's very dedicated, um, he's, he's a man who's moral, and, and he's, he's all in with what he believes. But he has some different information come to him in this encounter in Jesus. And obviously he was drawn to Jesus. Something about Jesus drew in Nicodemus. We know what it was. It, it was the fact that when Jesus taught, it was taught with divine authority. He, there was something different about the way he taught. And of course, all the miracles that he was doing and all the, all the attention he was getting, Nicodemus wanted to get with Jesus one-on-one. -on -one, but he didn't want his Sanhedrin buddies knowing about it. So he snuck off. And so we pick it up in, in verse 2, chapter 3. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It must have been shocking for Nicodemus as a devout religious man to basically be told by Jesus that he was spiritually dead. Because he was doing a lot of spiritual things and he probably thought he was on top of the spiritual food chain. And in this conversation, and I love this about this moment, because when you watch how Jesus deals with people, you see him interact pretty much uh, with precision accuracy for the need of the moment, right? And so you see uh, with, with, with broken people, with hurting people, there was a tenderness and a compassion. We're going to look next week at this exchange he has with this woman who's hurting, and he kind of he has this soft, warm conversation that builds into where truth is given. Here, here's what I love. Nicodemus shows up. And it's kind of like this. Hey, Jesus, how are you doing? Hey, you got to be born again, bro. Whoa. 
Like Jesus puts the cards on the table right up front. So it had to be shocking for Nicodemus that even though he was so devout, so religious, so dedicated, thinking he was spiritually alive, right out of the gate, Jesus is probably telling him, you're spiritually dead and you need to be born again. You need to have a spiritual birth. Now, the literal meaning of this phrase, born again, means born from above. It's a spiritual birth. It's a birth that can only come from above. Only, it can only happen through God. It's when, when those of us in darkness are reborn spiritually and come into light. That's why when we're in darkness and we don't have a relationship with God, we don't understand God. That's why we get stuck and, and stalled and a lot of questions about things because there's, there's a darkness around our heart and a darkness around our mind. And when we give our lives to Christ, when we surrender to God, it's like the floodlights come on, right? Those of you who come to Christ going, uh-huh. And sometimes it's a dimmer switch. And sometimes it's like, shoom, you know, the bedroom light coming on when you're asleep. You're like, stop, the light, you know? It, it, it'd be anything, but the light comes on. This is a spiritual birth that Jesus is talking about, a birth from above. And as we're about to see... In order for Nicodemus to be born again, to be born twice, if you will, he would have to do three things. He'd have to resolve confusion, he'd have to experience conversion, and he'd have to avoid condemnation. And we're going to look at those three things together right now. Let's, let's now go back into the passage, and we're going to take a little stretch here, looking at verses 4 through 13, as we see Nicodemus try to resolve confusion. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you, and I want you to know that you, by the way, is plural. He's not just talking to Nicodemus. Now he's extending this to all that are like Nicodemus. You, all right, do not believe. And if I tell you about earthly things, or you do not receive our testimony, and if I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The first aspect of confusion that Nicodemus has to get cleared up is he's confused on the identity of Christ. Nicodemus is confused about Jesus. He, he thinks he's a teacher. He thinks he's a rabbi. He thinks he's you know, from God. But his understanding of Jesus is a bit incomplete. We still see people operating like this today, right? Some of you have, maybe still are operating like this. Hey, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a good religious man. Hey, he was a good guy. He taught good things. Um, but, but we stop short of understanding his true identity. We stop short of understanding who he fully is. And at this point in time, Nicodemus doesn't understand who Jesus fully is, and Jesus is starting to enlighten him. And you've got to look for the nuances of what Jesus is saying here to realize Nicodemus is hearing and assessing, this is not your average guy. This is not just another self-proclaimed rabbi or teacher. And you've got things like this. You've got Jesus saying things like, truly, truly, I say to you. You have to understand, that's unique. That word truly comes from the word amen. This is where we get our word amen or amen. 
And what happens is when, when Jesus is saying truly, truly, or some translations might say verily, verily, he's saying not only is it true, it's really true. He's saying this, this comes with a divine authority. It's almost like when he says, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, that he's saying whatever you heard, don't even take it from there. You got to take it from me. This is, this is authoritative. This is from God. And so even the way he's speaking and the words he's using has a precision as he's speaking with Nicodemus. Also, you've got Jesus basically saying, I'm going to tell you about heavenly things. Okay, Nicodemus is used to hearing heavenly things, except for this. Jesus said this to him. If you catch that part, he's like, no one's ascended into heaven except for the one who's descended from heaven. And he's saying, if I'm telling you about earthly things, how are you going to understand heavenly things? You know what he's basically saying to Nicodemus? I came from heaven. I I don't know what you've learned. I don't know what you've read. I don't know what you understand, but here's the deal. It's coming from the horse's mouth. I've come from heaven, and I'm telling you this. So Jesus is basically saying, okay, thanks for acknowledging that God is with me, but let me help you a little bit more. Not only is God with me, God's in me because I am God. That's what Jesus is really leveling and telling Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus is confused about his identity, but now he's starting to realize this is not the average rabbi or teacher that I am dealing with here. And so he has to have that cleared up. And a lot of us need to have or had to have that cleared up. Jesus is far more than a teacher. He's far more than a religious guy. He's God wrapped in flesh. And if we want to know about heaven, and we want to know how to get there, and we want to know about the things of heaven, then we tune our ears and our hearts and our minds to Jesus he came from heaven to earth to show us the way, to teach us the way, to demonstrate the way. But obviously, uh, Nicodemus' confusion goes beyond that. Nicodemus is also, and a bit understandably, confused about this whole concept of spiritual birth. Jesus is talking about being born again. And you can see this conversation. Nicodemus is going, time out. Born again, like, come on. Like, you're going back into your mama's tummy and come out again? That's just absurd. He, he, he doesn't understand the depth of what Jesus is getting to here. And so Jesus is trying to teach about this second birth, this this, um, spiritual birth. And even as he's talking about it, we see Nicodemus in verse 9 saying, how can these things be? Nicodemus didn't grasp the meaning of this spiritual birth. He doesn't understand that Jesus is talking beyond a physical birth. And here's what's so interesting. You've You've got Nicodemus as a rabbi, a teacher, a spiritual leader, who again thinks he's spiritually alive, and as Jesus is trying to explain to him, no, you have to go through a spiritual birth to be spiritually alive, Nicodemus isn't getting it. He's not getting it. He's actually spiritually dead because he's only had one birth. What do you mean by one birth? What do you mean by one birth? This is what Jesus is trying to get to him. See, you can't get spiritual life from a physical birth. So Jesus is saying here, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So for us to have spiritual life, we have to have a spiritual birth. Think about it this way. All of us here have been born once, physically, right? Physical birth. But here's the thing. We know that man is made up not just of body. We've got a body and we have a soul. And so we have a body that's the shell, that's the cocoon, if you will, the vessel for the soul. And so we're born physically, that's one birth, but with that comes two deaths, Because if you're born physically, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically when the body dies, and then you also die spiritually. And when you study scriptures, you understand that it's called the second death. Spiritual death means it's, it's eternal separation from God for eternity in punishment. 
That's, that's the second death. And so if we're born once physically, we die twice. Physical death, spiritual death. But here's the other side of that. If you're born twice, if you're born physically, and then you experience a spiritual birth, then you only die once. You only die physically. Because when this body dies, the soul goes on to live forever with God in eternity, in his presence, in his kingdom. So it's amazing to think, man, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Hopefully you're tracking. Some of you are going, wait, let me get that. Okay, I got it. That's what Jesus is basically trying to download to Nicodemus, that there's a new birth. And the new birth is when the Holy Spirit supernaturally gives us spiritual life by connecting us to Jesus Christ through faith. I want to say that again. The new birth is when the Holy Spirit of God supernaturally gives us spiritual life in Christ through faith. So new birth means a new you. It means a new life. It means forgiven. It means cleansed. It means that God formed in you something through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Look again at what Jesus said in verses 5 and 6. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is digging deeper to this concept of the spiritual birth with Nicodemus. He said, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. Now, some people read that passage, and they, and they say that means baptism. Being born of the water means baptism. That's incorrect, because baptism is not even in the context of this conversation at all. Right? Some people try to force that interpretation into this passage. He's not talking about baptism. That's not even on the radar. Some will say what Jesus is talking about is you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Water is a symbol of physical birth. You've got to be born physically and born spiritually. There's some weight to that. You think about the concept of being born, you know, and the breaking of the water and all that kind of stuff. There's some weight to that. But we think Jesus is diving even deeper. Because you have to remember, this is a conversation between two rabbis. And one of them is God. <laughs> and so he's pulling stuff out from the Old Testament. He's, he's, putting, he's, he's giving glimpses of the future. You know, you know Nicodemus is sitting there going, I am out of my league right now. And when Jesus is talking about being born of the water and the spirit, he's using water as the cleansing agent as seen in Scripture. And we think he's specifically referring to Ezekiel chapter 36. Because in Ezekiel chapter 36, when God spoke to this Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel, look at the promise that he gave, verses 25, 27. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanlessnesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This second birth, this spiritual birth, this new birth is a spiritual life that's been cleansed. That's the significant element of the water. It's a cleansing. You've got to be born of the cleansing, born of the water, the, the, the cleansing work of God and worked in you by the Spirit. Because in our flesh, we're spiritually dead at our first birth but we're made spiritually alive through the second birth. John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so the only ones 
who will enter the kingdom of God, the only ones going to be in the presence of God in heaven forever are those who have this newness, a cleansing of the old and a creation of the new. So this water and spirit language that Jesus is using is a reference to two aspects of our newness when we're born again. You've got to be born, born of the water and the spirit. And it's interesting because as he's talking to Nicodemus, it's no wonder that he looks at Nicodemus in verse 10 and says, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus wouldn't be a stranger to this passage in Ezekiel. Who knows? He might have taught this passage before. And just think about how lost you can be. You know how sometimes the answer is right in front of your face sometimes and you just don't see it? I mean, how many times has God been trying to speak to you right in front of your face and you just don't see it? And he reveals it. And, and here you got a, a guy who is familiar with the passage as a rabbi Nicodemus, who's taught about God's newness, who's taught about God's cleanliness, has taught about God putting a spirit in you, in essence, kind of a new birth, if you will. And as Jesus starts to talk about that, Nicodemus is just not connecting the dots. He's not getting it. And Jesus is helping him along to get it. What's with the whole wind thing? The whole wind blowing thing. Like, was there a breeze that night? I don't know what's going on. You look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Here we see as Jesus is pressing in, he's comparing the work of the Spirit of God in the new birth to the way that the wind blows. And we understand how this is. Like You and I see the effects of the wind. We don't control the wind. We don't, we don't make it start. We don't make it stop. It just comes. The wind has will of its own, if you will. And we see how it blows things. It blows things over, you know, knocks things over, how it, how it softly brushes through the trees as it, as it brushes against our skin, as it messes with our hair, some of us, you know, all that kind of stuff. We see the effects of the wind. We don't have any control over it. And this is what Jesus is saying for those who experience this second birth that we hear the sound, we see the result of the wind, but we cannot actually see the wind itself, that's how it is with the Holy Spirit. See, see, our wills move when the wind is blowing, the wind of the Holy Spirit, not the other way around. Not the other way around. We don't, we don't move God. He, he, he moves us. And so we don't move first. Our wills are awakened and moved toward Christ when the Spirit's wind blows where he wills and gives life to whom he wills. Think about it this way. What did you contribute to your physical birth? (laughs) Nothing. You didn't do anything. You were just born, right? You didn't have anything to do with it. It wasn't of your own doing. It wasn't of your own work. It was something that happened upon you. It's interesting because when we look at the understanding of God's word, when we look at people coming to Christ, when we look at God's invitation to come into relationship It's like the Holy Spirit of the wind is blowing, and the the fact that all of us have an opportunity to be in a relationship with God is from God. What do we have to contribute to our spiritual birth? The same amount we have to contribute to our physical birth. Nothing. It's a work of God. Then we sit here and go, well, but don't I have to make a decision to follow Jesus? Yeah, we do. God, in his sovereignty, allows us to have responsibility. He allows us to have ownership. He allows us to move into that. But where did that ability come from? from the wind blowing, from the Holy Spirit's work. God initiated it. So God initiated the invitation. God initiated our opportunity to respond to the invitation. And so it is with with this. If if the Holy Spirit is blowing, he's blowing us toward him and the Lord. And we see the effects. 
Like some of you, you got friends and family members who know Jesus, but you don't. And you've seen changes in their life. They don't talk the way they used to talk. And they don't act the way they used to act. Not that they're perfect, because they still make mistakes, and maybe you really hold them accountable to remembering that. But they're different. You know what that is? You're seeing the effects of the wind. You're seeing how the Holy Spirit has changed them. You can't control it. Sometimes you wish God wouldn't do what they did. They want to start giving away more of the money, and they start wanting to, like, serve, and it's like it's cramping your style. It's like, what's going on? It's the effects of the wind of the Holy Spirit changing people's lives. That's what the new birth does. We can't control it. We don't, we don't move it around. And hopefully the wind of the Holy Spirit is revealed to you and has blown on you and shown you the invitation of the Lord and shown you that you're dead in your flesh and you need to be reborn in the Spirit. Well, for Nicodemus to be born again, for us to be born again, we've got to resolve the confusion. We've got to resolve this confusion. But once you have that information, now what? Well, now you actually have to experience the conversion. Because you can have all the information you need, but not move. And so you've got to experience a conversion. And when we think of conversion, you know, we're talking about changing, to adopt, to, to believe or turn to something different. When we speak about conversion, we speak of turning from trusting in ourselves, trusting in religion, trusting in whatever spiritual teaching we've had that sounds different than the Bible. We turn from trusting in that. We turn to trusting in who Jesus is as God. And we turn to trusting in what he did by dying on the cross for the sins of mankind and raising from the grave to proclaim victory over death and sin. That's what we mean when we say conversion. We, we change directions. We, we, we adopt and believe and trust in something different. We convert over. This is going to have to happen for Nicodemus. This is going to have to happen to us. Now think about Nicodemus for a second. Just put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes for a minute. He's got religion. He's got good works. He's devout, he's dedicated, he's moral, but he needed life. He needed spiritual life. All of his knowledge, all of his study, all of his law-keeping, all of his religious practices could not replace his need for a new birth. I love how Pastor John Piper said this. He says, what Nicodemus needs and what you and I need is not religion, but life. The point of referring to new birth is that birth brings a new life into the world. In one sense, of course, Nicodemus is alive. He's breathing, thinking, feeling, acting. He's a human created in God's image. But evidently, Jesus thinks he's dead. There is no spiritual life in Nicodemus. Spiritually, he's still unborn. He needs life, not more religious activities or more religious zeal. He has plenty of that. And so Jesus is trying to get his heart to convert. Convert to what? Convert to faith in him and trust in him. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus, again, reaches back into Old Testament history and pulls up something that would be familiar to Nicodemus. And he reaches all the way back to Numbers chapter 24. And in Numbers chapter 24, and you don't need to, or 21, um, uh, verses 4 through 9, what you see, if, if you're familiar with Bible history, is that when God rescued the Hebrew people from Egypt, and as they're wandering around in the desert, they just start complaining, right? Now they're mad at God. Now they're mad at Moses because they're wandering around instead of being slaves. And God's like, you know what? I'm going to discipline you guys, and I'm going to reach into my toolbox here. And the way I'm going to discipline you this time is I'm going to discipline you with snakes. And these snakes are going to come out, and they're going to bite you. And if they bite you, you're going to die. But then what he does, he tells Moses... Make a bronze serpent and put it on a wood pole. And if anyone gets bit 
by a serpent, if they look at what you've made, this bronze serpent on a pole, they'll be healed. They won't die. And so he's using this imagery that would be familiar to Nicodemus. And so, uh, so interesting, it, it wasn't the pole, like that piece of wood and that bronze snake that was forged and put up on it, that had no magic, that had no mojo, that didn't do anything. There was nothing about the object itself that was going to heal the people. It was that God said, if this happens to you, and this is your state, you're bitten, now you're going to die, if you look to this, you won't die. And so it was the belief, it was the faith, that if I got bit by a snake, God told me to look at that silly stick with a you know, forged serpent on it. Do I really believe that's going to save me? Well, I'll tell you what, if I got bit by a snake, and someone told me that if I didn't look at that stick with the snake on it, I would die, I would look at this pole with the snake. So I'm going to have faith and belief that that act of looking to is going to bring the healing in my life. Which a little side note, which is very cool. Many of you know this already, especially in our big medical community here. Have you ever seen that imagery before? Look on the side of an ambulance. Look at the embroidery on any medical gown. Okay? The serpent with a pole. It's amazing how I've sat talking, having discussions with atheistic doctors that have that on them. I'm like, this is kind of funny because you don't believe in God, but you're wearing Moses with a snake and Numbers 21 on your, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, people drive around ambulances like, ah, oh, there's no God. And it's like, right on the side of the ambulance, <laughs> Numbers 21, Moses, serpent, snake. I love that. God is so cool how he does that kind of stuff. But anyways. This is the imagery that Jesus is pulling in, and look what he says to Nicodemus in verse 14 through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, and he's referring to himself, be lifted up. You know what that is, don't you? What's that a reference to? The crucifixion. When they lift Jesus up on the cross. That little silly pole held a serpent, but the cross held our Savior. And when that thing got raised, it says, whoever believes. Oh, that, sorry, let me back up. Wrong verse. Uh, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus saying, Nicodemus, just, just like Moses lifted up that pole with the serpent, whoever believed that that would heal him would bring healing. When the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross, whoever believes upon the Son of Man will be healed spiritually, will be reborn spiritually, will have eternal life. Which means for those of us who decide not to look to Jesus, for those of us who decide not to believe in Jesus, perish. Eternal death, the second death. But for those who believe and trust and transfer, eternal life, new birth, second birth, spiritual birth. And so Nicodemus is getting all this information. See, we can't get to heaven based on our good works. Some of you have been taught that. Some of you have been told that. It's not true. We don't get to heaven based on any good that we do. None of our good works. It's only by one good work that we get to heaven, and it was the good work that Jesus did on the cross. That one act of his sacrifice for the sins of man, when Jesus was lifted, that's the one work that matters most. All our silly works are nothing. They're trinkets compared to all of that. Good people who do good things don't go to heaven. Only forgiven people go to heaven. 
And the only way to get forgiveness when you read the Bible is believing and trusting in Jesus. That's the way that God provided. He didn't provide the serpent and the pole and a bunch of other stuff. It was just that one remedy. And in the same way, God's only provided one remedy for our souls. And that's the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's the information that God gives us. You know, 1 John 5.1 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Nicodemus would need to convert his heart from his religion to Jesus. We need to do the same thing. Have you done that? Have you converted your heart and your faith and your trust from whatever you've been trusting in, good works, religion, your personal opinion, all that kind of stuff? Have you converted from that to the understanding of who Jesus is and what he did? Because you can resolve the confusion, but you need action. And so you're going to need to have that conversion in your heart. You need to experience a conversion. And the third thing that we see here for Nicodemus to be born again is not only would he have to resolve his confusion and experience conversion, he'd also be able to avoid condemnation. Avoid condemnation. Look at verses 17 through 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So here's the bad news. The bad news is uh, we're rebellious and sinful to a holy, perfect God. And there's a consequence for that. And the consequence is eternal separation for our sins in eternity and punishment. So it's this, we, we live in a condemned state. We're, the first birth births us, the, 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 the birth in the flesh births us into a condemned state that we will operate in sin and die in sin. One birth, two deaths. And, and so basically we are living already sentenced. We're guilty, we're already sentenced to death to eternal death, if you will. And we're just waiting for the sentence to be carried out at the end of this life. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus came and his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection was not a mission of punishment or condemnation. It was a mission of salvation. It was to rescue us so that those of us that were in sin, those of us that have had that one birth, that through belief and trust in him could be reborn and have eternal life and spiritual life and be saved from the condemnation. Now, 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's real simple. Receive Jesus, have eternal life, reject him, have eternal death. It's that simple. But we wrestle. And we wrestle. And see, you understand, Nicodemus was confronted that he was going to have to abandon all that he thought. He, he was not going to be able to blend his personal opinion and views with what God said is the case. He was either going to have to abandon that and embrace what God made known to him in this moment, or he was going to have to um, just abandon and reject what Jesus was saying and cling to what he already had. And when we come to that threshold of faith, it's the same way. We can't blend what we believe and what we think and our personal opinion and our traditions and our religious practices with what God says in his word. You don't, you don't blend that. You have to abandon that stuff that you're trusting in and cling to Christ 
or reject Christ and cling to our other stuff. And this is the decision that we have, and the outcome of that decision is that there would be condemnation. But God came in person to rescue that from us. So, Nicodemus had his confusion resolved. There was an opportunity for conversion to be experienced so that he could avoid condemnation. What did he do? Whatever happened to Nicodemus? This is what I love about this series, Never the Same, is we'll see moments like we saw last week where there's this encounter with Zacchaeus where he encountered Jesus and we saw transformation right before us. Here we have a conversation and we're like, whatever happened to Nicodemus? And we get to see what happened to Nicodemus. We don't always get that benefit. So he shows up two other times in the book of John. The next time we see him is in John chapter 7, verse 50 through 52. It says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him, Jesus, before, and who was one of them, the Sanhedrin, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. What was happening in this moment is that those guys were so bent on condemning Jesus and getting him killed that they had a law that says you, you can't take someone and try them and judge them without hearing them. And they're like, forget the hearing, we're just going to condemn him. And all of a sudden, you've got Nicodemus standing up for Jesus. So something happened between John 3 and John 7. Because now he's in front of, if there's a Sanhedrin, there's 70, right? And we don't know the context here, but if he's with 70 or 69 other people going, hey guys, time out here. Our law says that we can't condemn him without hearing him. He's standing up for Jesus. Was he born again already? Maybe. If not, he was on his way. Because the next time we see Nicodemus removes all doubt. It's the biggest evidence we have of what happened to Nicodemus. And we now see in John chapter 19, and in John chapter 19, verse 38, this is after the death of Christ on the cross. This is after um, uh, you know, all the events have taken place of the Holy Week, which is what we're looking at now. When Jesus died, look what takes place in John 19, 38 to 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Now look at this, verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. You've got a guy in John chapter 3 who's coming and questioning Jesus. You've got a guy in John chapter 19 who boldly and openly is identifying with Jesus by bringing the very wraps and spices to wrap his body once it was pulled off the cross. And with Joseph of Arimathea, lays the body of Jesus in the tomb. Why would he do that if he wasn't born again? Why would he openly identify with Jesus if that transformation didn't happen? He was born again. That conversion happened. You can look at that with such great evidence. Transformation complete. Something happened between John chapter 3 and John chapter 19. It was conversion. It was second birth. We have so much we can learn from this moment. I mean, just think about Nicodemus for a second. Nicodemus was a religious man, but he wasn't born again. You and I could be religious and not born again. Nicodemus knew scripture. 
you can have the Bible memorized and actually not be born again. Nicodemus went to synagogue faithfully. You can go to church faithfully and not be born again. Nicodemus taught scripture to others. You can actually teach the Bible and teach other people about God and not be saved, not be born again. I say that in a sober way because I believe some of us, that's just the tradition we've come from. We've been sold a bill of goods that if we just do this religious stuff, we'll be good. And it's not. You have to experience that second birth. You have to be spiritually born by faith in Christ. And the good news is that you can do just as Nicodemus did and respond to Christ's invitation to the wind blowing and inviting you into a relationship. I know most of you here have probably done that. You know, there's one lady in our church that did that. I just asked if I could share her a snippet of her story. And she said, yeah, because I thought it sounded a lot like Nicodemus. This is from a woman in our community named Arlene. She says, I grew up in a religious church. I was baptized as an infant. I attended a religious school. I attended, a, I attended church religiously. I always thought God had plans for me. I even considered being a nun. As I entered into full-time employment out of high school, I gained new friends who did not go to church and eventually stopped attending Other than weddings and funerals, I went through a season where I did not go to church for 40 years. In that season, I experienced much pain and hardship in my life. One day, a good friend recommended I try a CVC. A few weeks later, I woke up and decided I would go to church. It was better than just staying at home. I don't know what the pastor was saying to everyone else that day, but I heard God speaking directly to me. I continued to attend services regularly, and as I grew to know God's love for me, I gave my heart and soul to Jesus Christ and received his promise of eternal life. I know that God has forgiven me for all my sins because of Christ's death on the cross and that I am now born again. And Darlene was reborn. I remember having a joy of baptizing Darlene a couple years back. What about you? Are you that religious person trusting in all that stuff? Trusting in your own opinion and your own religion, religious views? Or have you really experienced true spiritual rebirth? Here's the take-home concept I want you guys to walk away with here today. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. How many times have you been born? You know, it's interesting. We look at this series that we've been going through, this never the same. So far, we've seen a man born blind who went and washed and had physical and spiritual sight restored. We saw a woman with a chronic issue of bleeding that in faith reached out and touched Jesus and was healed. We saw a wealthy but rejected man, a tax collector that climbed a tree and was transformed by Jesus and is now a religious, uh, and, and now we see a religious man that came to Jesus and exchanged his trust in his own morality and religious practice for a spiritual rebirth through faith in Jesus. Different walks of life, different issues. Some men, some women, some rich, some poor, some affluent, some outcast, all with the same need, spiritual birth. I hope you've made that decision in your life today. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you that you've given us your word, authority, a guide to not be confused, to not be lost. God, thank you that your word shines as a bright beacon, Lord, to guide us, to direct us. Lord, I want to thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, God. Lord, as we hear this, we celebrate. We're grateful. We worship you. We're we, look at, we anticipate the opportunity to spend eternity with you. So God, we do that. But God, also continue to stir in our hearts 
an urgency and a pain for those who don't know you. The Nicodemuses that we know, that may be religious, that may have opinions and views, but Lord, they're lost. They're unborn spiritually, Lord. Help us. Help us pray for them. Help us open our mouth and talk to them, Lord. Lord, thank you for the people in this room, Lord, that are spiritually seeking, that haven't yet been reborn, haven't experienced that spiritual birth. God, would you work in their hearts? And if that's you today, my encouragement, exhortation, challenge, plea with you is if God's knock on your heart, don't ignore it. And you can take everything that you've just heard today and you can just say, this is the moment that I want to be reborn. The wind's blowing, I'm going to respond. And you can just tell God this. You can say, Jesus, in my flesh and in my sin, I'm spiritually dead. I've only been born once. But right here, right now, I place my faith and trust in you for a second birth, a new birth, a spiritual birth. Thank you for making this possible by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. I choose to follow you right now for all the days of my life until you return or my physical life ends and my eternal life begins. Come into my life. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask these in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Hey, as you get ready to leave here today, if, if, if you're praying to receive Christ today, if you're giving your life to Christ, would you share that with us, please? You can just reach to, close to a chair in front of you, and there's a response card. It's just your way of saying, man, I, I was reborn today, spiritually born for the first time. You know, Nicodemus boldly identified with Christ. He wasn't afraid to do that. And for you, this is a bold way of saying, I gave my life to Christ today. And if you give this to us in the baskets in a minute, we'd love to follow up with you tell you how to grow, how to experience Christ in new ways and relational ways. That's our heart and prayer for you. For the rest of us, don't stop praying and reaching out to your friends. You know what? Maybe even tell them about the story of Nicodemus. Maybe God will use that in their life. So that's our heart. That's our prayer. Amen?